Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined by Simon Thomas this afternoon. It's the first of, well, it feels like the beginning of the Lions tour now, doesn't it? It feels official. We've had a team announcement. Uh, it's starting to become real. The start of a very long period for you, Benjamin, I believe, because <laughs> we should let the uh, listeners know that Mr. James is heading out to South Africa. I'll be giving him a long chat, having been a, a two-times tourist to South Africa in the past, and it is an experience like no other, and it'll be an experience <laughs> like no other for a, a double the reason this time, and then it's going to be bubble time. So, uh, yeah, but I uh, hope, hope you enjoy it, mate, and stay safe. That's the most important thing. Yeah, it's a touch wood. I'm still going. Um, <laughs> nine days until I fly, and I think each of those nine days are going to be quite anxious waits to see w- what happens with COVID, because you never know. It could be a twist in the tail. Oh, but, I mean, I suppose the other thing is that, you know, anybody in our job at the moment is really privileged to be able to go and cover that tour. Yep. Because the, the, the Lions army isn't able to do so and it'll be um it'll be an incre- incredible experience and uh, yeah looking forward to seeing your coverage yeah i mean that's that's what makes this game against japan it's like all the more strangers the fact that the send-off they'll have in edinburgh this weekend will have sixteen thousand fans there and then they'll go to empty stadiums like it was last year it's going to be a mm. it's going to be a strange one but um 16,000 fans and me. I'm going to that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm being allowed out of my cage for the first time in over 15 months, so that'll be a real experience. Going on a plane, I, I, I didn't even begin to think what that's going to be like again. So, But no, that'll be again a provision because a lot of people obviously book tickets for that game. Um, it was going to be, what's the capacity of Murrayfield? 60, 70,000. It was going to be a full house. And for all the reasons we know, they've had to reduce it. I think it's about 16,000 we're saying, isn't it? So they had to sort of do a ballad version of it. So a lot of people who were hoping to go are going to miss out. So yeah, if you're very fortunate to go, and we now, as you say, we now know the team that's going to play, and it's um, yeah, I wrote a piece about it this morning. It's an interesting mix, I think. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's a bit of a fool's fool's errand trying to guess the team, even though this is probably the easiest Lions team to guess because there's only 25 players realistically to pick from because of all the players joined up with the Jersey camp sort of late on, but there was only really two or three positions that we knew were nailed on. We knew Ken Owens was going to start a hooker because only one hooker. there's only one hooker. We knew Dan Bigger was going to start a fly half because there's only one fly half. Um, you know, Neil Jenkins, a joke last weekend that Gregor Townsend was potentially going to uh, be sort of acting as cover, but uh, elsewhere it, it was sort of tough to know what combinations. Yeah. Combinations is a key word. See. But I kind of factored on. I mean, just to explain to people, obviously, the four Exeter players, including yep. Stuart Hogg, you know, Sam Simmons, they're, they're tied up in the Premiership final, which we won't go into the politics of why that's the same day as the Lions game. That's been well grounded and well talked about. Those four are obviously on no duty there. <clears throat> and then the players whose season came to an end last weekend in various playoffs and so forth, which would be the Saracens players. Uh, Tom Curry of, Curry of Sale, and then, and then you've also got Finn Russell, who's come back from France. Um, uh, the five Saracens players who obviously just completed their return to the Premiership with a you know thumping two-leg win over Ealing. Now, interestingly, two of those have gone straight in, um, in, in Farrell and uh, Jamie George. George, obviously, a reflection of what we're talking about in yeah. terms of the good situation, because Luke Cowan-Dickey is, is one of the other Lexeter players uh, in the final. So um, he comes in and uh, Owen Farrell comes in and we hear that I think Finn Russell got a slight tweak, which they're kind of just um, resting him for that, giving him a bit more time. So Farrell will be covering 10 and 12 off the bench. You know, I mean, 
it, it, it was interesting listening to Warren Gatlin today. I mean, you transcribed the whole Q&A and the, one of the things, big talking points was the Saracens players um, because obviously there was, you know, question were they a bit undercooked in the Six Nations given they hadn't played much rugby. Rugby they were playing was championship rugby. But um, listening to Gatlin today, he's, you know, he knows the qualities of those players. I think all five of them are on the last Lions trip. Yeah, Bola, yeah. Jamie George, Farrell, Ariette Daly and the Toje, you know, they're quality players. And I think Gatlin has always had a belief that he, once he has players in his camp, he can get them to the level that they want. So that'd be interesting. But in terms of the team, um, I suppose the one thing that people noticed, noticed immediately was the Dan Bigger, Connor, Connor Murray, because uh, I guess most people would have seen them you know, over the last few weeks as the front runners to be nine and 10 in the test series. And Gatlin was actually asked this, wasn't he? And he, and he did come up with the uh, classic kind of Gatlin line. And he said, oh, I think Owen and Finn would have something to say about that. So create the competition straight away. But they, I always feel with these things. I remember back to the Lions 2005, they played in Cardiff for a warm up match against Argentina. And it was a first shot then. And, you know, you wondered how important it would be. But some players played themselves up the pecking order and some down. And first impressions are important. And yeah. this this group gets the first crack at it. You know, in front of a home crowd um, against a Japan team, we really haven't seen much of at all. They had one game against the Sunwolves, didn't they? So it's a chance, it's an opportunity. And... If there are certain combinations there. I mean, we talked about it before, you know, in the centre, wide open the centre is on this tour. And they've gone for two guys who know each other very well in Bandiaki and Henderson from Connell, previously in Ireland. So it's fascinating to see, you know, if we're looking for a, a hard, direct, physical, ball-carrying, dare I say, Warren Ball-style midfield, you've got two there. The back row and the back three, we'll talk about it more in detail. But the, yeah, it's 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 the balance, isn't it? And it was restricted to a certain extent in terms of the players who have been available. But you're still getting a little bit of insight into what kind of balance he wants to his team. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember some of the names who played in 2005. I seem to remember Ollie Smith. Or Michael Owen. Michael Owen, captain, I believe, if memory serves me right. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember Ollie Smith making too much of an impression when they got to New Zealand, so... It was Not rather a bloated squad as well. Um, yeah, obviously, we, we talk about combinations, and I suppose that's we can see where Gatlin's leaned on. You mentioned Aki and Henshaw, Ireland teammates, former Connacht teammates, uh, the back three, two Welshmen in there. So Liam and Josh Adams know each other quite well. Back row, you've got Tyg Byrne, Jack Conan. Connor Murray playing off the back of that. So that's a six, eight, nine. And then your props are both Scottish. So you, he's clearly leaning on familiarity, isn't he, early on in the tour? Yeah, I mean, there was a question asked by one of our Irish colleagues, Mary Kinsella, asked about, um, does this now show that Tag Byrne is very much as a back row forward? Because obviously, probably still played the most of his rugby over the last three yeah. years. Second row is where he played most of his rugby with the Scarlets. But I thought it was fascinating what Gatlin said there when he was talking... To, about having had a conversation with Byrne and I'd said to him, right, what's your point of difference? I guess it's the kind of conversation he has with a lot of players and Byrne is very clear that he sees his point of difference as his work over the ball, his jackling ability and, you know, he is one of the best in the world at that. You know, he, when he was playing second row, I would argue he was the best second row with the ball I've ever seen. Now, I suppose he showed with the Scarlets that even while with four or five on his back, he could do that. I guess if you are a breakaway, 
your opportunities to impose yourself in that area are that yeah. much greater. And if, if you look at what he brings in terms of the balance of the back row, I mean, this might not, you know, could be a well way from what we end up with because you've got quality players, uh, you know, pushing for selection. But what he brings is a kind of athleticism, both at the line out and around the field, big engine, and there is that jackling ability. And then if you look at what he's gone this after, you've got Jack Conan, 18 stone, strong, comes at you all the time, strong ball carrier, quite dynamic. And then you've got Hamish Watson, who, has quite an all-round game in the sense that he can complement Tyburn over the ball, yeah. but he can also complement Conan's carrying because he's got that rubber ball ability to bounce off people. So it's a nice mix. The one thing you'd say there, is if you look at, say, the way Wales have played over the last year, what, what um, Pivak has really always wanted, you can see when he brought back Lydiard uh, with Navidi there as well, he likes that chain serial tackling six big tackling six now you look at the back row if you play burn as a six um you know he doesn't miss tackles essentially but, he, but he's, he's a different type of six yeah he's not a he's not a Lydia type six joe worsley type six the kind of gatland often played in the past other players play so that changes the dynamic of it a little bit and makes me wonder whether then tipperick comes back into the equation because you know tipperick tipperick's tackle completion rate is just phenomenal isn't it you know i think that's going to be an interesting one Tipperick's not involved this week, even though he's been in part of the training camp for the fortnight. So he has to bide his time where Watson gets the first crack at it because if I'm thinking back um, on the bench, you've got Courtney Laws covering, haven't you? Um, uh, Courtney on the second row and obviously Falatow. So you, I mean, Falatow coming, I mean, whether he, isn't that the, the bit that interests me there is like, is how, if you look at Byrne and Courtney Laws, in a way, quite similar in that they yeah. play second row, back row. But it seems to be demarcating now that Laws is in the second row category more and Burn more in the back row category. So it's like little things like that that you're getting the first indications of, really. Yeah. I wonder about Courtney Laws because it's it's a very competitive second row pool. You think you've got Alan Wynn, Maratoche. Uh, I mean, Ian Henderson was an outstanding tourist four years ago. Hill. Desperately unlucky not to get a test. Yeah, Johnny Hill, I think, is going to have a really big sort of midweek campaign with what we've seen. He could push for tests. I think it makes sense for Gatlin to look at his sixes as hybrid fives in in, in Laws or, or, or Burn because if you look at his eights, his eights are going to be, they're all really pacey, sort of dynamic. Edge forward, Simmons, Conan, Falato, they're all going to be playing in the wide channels. His sevens are likely to do the same too. Uh, Tiprick. So I think yeah. having having a six who can basically do the grunt work of a five or a four makes sense for Gatland. Yeah, it's just this thing, isn't it? That there isn't, if you look at the back row contingent, there isn't that classic do the donkey work, do the graft type back row where there's no Lydia type. Yeah. Navidi would have been a classic example of something to do that. Probably Amani in terms of the physicality and the you know the, the grunt and physicality of it. So it's going to be a different type of back row combination by the look of it, and probably more of a top of the ground one. You could end up with a back row of like Falatos, Simmons, and Byrne. I mean, you know, complete athleticism. Um, or does he go? Does he go for um, more of a of a physical presence at number eight, um, which is Conan? Really, I mean, as yeah. a, a lot of this is in the context that a year ago you just said, well, it's going to be Falatao or Billy Vunapola. Or standard. Or standard, which gives you that, you know, you've got the 
the, the, the quick, the good feet and the footballing ability and just constant work rate of a Faletau. Then you've got the two direct, very cross-the-game line players. Now, there's no Vulapola and there's no Stander. Conan has now come in, still a relative rookie at international level, but, I mean, he of the pack, of the pick, as it were, he is the big ball-carrying option in that back, back three now, really. But alongside him, then you've got really kind of footballers, haven't you? Yeah. Dynamic footballers. No, definitely. So there's a, I think it's a, this is a huge chance for Jack Conan on the weekend to lay down a marker and say, well, if you want that type of eight, if you decide as the tour goes on that you want to someone to do a kind of Dwayne Vermeulen job, I mean, I mean, Conan's a big man. Now, we haven't seen a huge amount of him at Tesla. I watched him a lot for Leinster. And um, he, he is just a very, very consistent ball carrier. Very consistent. And you know what you get from him. So I think he's the kind of player, my colleague Mark Orders is doing a piece this afternoon on the outsiders who are getting a, a first-up chance in this game. And he'd be one of them. Bundy Aki be another one. Yeah. Dwayne well, Van yeah. der Merwe on the wing, possibly. Yeah, well, it's funny you mention those two because typically when Gatlin doesn't have the the sort of the bulk in his back row and his pack to, to carry, it's the back line that does the work for him. And in Bundyaki, you, you've got someone who could potentially carry as a forward while his forwards carry in the wide channels. So yeah. that, that could be a way they, they, they go. Like, yeah, they always have done. I mean, he's, he's had a couple of issues over the last year or so. With, with the height of his tackle has cost yeah. him a couple of occasions and, he's, and that's you know it's going to be fascinating to see how that is officiated out there especially I think Ben O'Keefe is the, the referee in the second test and just the weekend we had that incident in the in the Super Rugby final didn't we where the yellow card was given rather than a red and the officiating of that tackle line is going to be absolutely yeah. crucial so Aki along with others will have to be careful about Van der Berber, it really interests me um because, you know, you don't get too many people built like that who can shift as fast as they can and break tackles as well as he can. And he's the kind of guy out there with the motivation of being in South Africa, a country he knows relatively well. I mean, he'll be completely up for this. And that's a really competitive area. I mean, no Lewis Reese Samet at all in the 23. Yeah. If you, you think you've still got Stuart Hogg to come back from Exeter. You've got Elliot Daly, who's just joined. I mean, how are they viewing Daly? Is he, are they viewing him as a centre or a back three? feels like more of a centre, doesn't it? We wait to find out. But you know you can play anywhere in the outside yeah. back. So that, that's an interesting one. And I think this is a big game too for Liam Williams. Because, yeah. I mean, Liam would probably be, in most people's eyes, slightly behind Stuart Hoggins into the 15. And we talked about the other options in the wing. So... But interestingly, of course, Hogg was left out of the of the Premiership semi-final starting lineup by Exeter with Jack Noel starting at fullback. Now it's 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 interesting to see what they do in the final this week against Harlequins. Will Hogg start yeah. there? Because you've got Hogg and actually two people we know well in Wales on the, on the wing in uh, Tom Flaherty, Exbridge End, and Alex Cuthbert. Does, does Cuthbert maybe miss out? You know, if if Hogg gets left out again. So they've got all of that background. There's two games going on virtually the same time on the weekend. Lots to happen and fingers crossed everybody comes through unscathed in both games. That's the other thing, you know, because, you know, to, to be to, so far, they've, they've despite having a, a lot of the Lions play quite a lot of rugby since the squad was announced, there's not there's not been that many injuries, are there really? Little bangs here and there, but nothing that's no. it. I mean, not... 
it was almost the, the before the test series that George North was lost, wasn't it? Before the squad was announced. So yeah, that's the big thing. You know, it, you've got that mix, and you everyone wants to make a mark up in Murrayfield this weekend, but you also, you know, you don't want to get injured either. So it's uh, it's one of those tricky ones, but you can't hold back. No, no, no. Um, it's funny you mention Alex Cuthbert because I think of as of one minute ago he signed for the Ospreys. Well, it's been well trailed, isn't it? It's has been well trailed, but. Or our colleague, Mr. Orders, was just had an embargoed story there, so I kind of guessed it might be that. And, yeah, it'll be good because um, if you, it, he's been through a very tough time at Exeter. Yeah. He's had a few injury issues there, but you've just seen in recent weeks since he's come back into the fold what, what he can do. And, you know, players like that who've got power and pace, I mean, he was so important for Gatlin for about three or four years, really, wasn't he? Because along with George North, he just gave you that ability, especially coming into midfield off the first receiver. But a difficult time towards the end of his, you know, stay with Wales. He was. It always seems to happen that someone gets the uh, the keyboard warrior's attention. And it was him for a, for a little while. But yeah, that's a very good signing yeah. for the Ospreys. And of course, he becomes re-eligible for Wales now. Indeed, and it's, it's perfect timing for the Ospreys because they've lost George North to a long-term injury. So to get an international caliber wing to come sort of back in, like for like, is is ideal for them and what they're building. I mean, Corey Allen had gone as well. Scott Williams yeah. had gone from the back line as well. So you've lost two international experienced players there. Uh, I saw George a couple of weeks ago, actually. Just bumped into him in, in Poncana and he was showing me the, the scar work on his knee and he was just chatting about the, um, you know, the, the kind of the frustration of the timing of it. But he's got a philosophical guy and I mean, hopefully he'll be back, you know, so I don't know, really mid-autumn time, late autumn. We'll have to wait and see because it's, since we have a six-month or nine-month job, these ones, don't you? So it'd be great to see him back. But as you say, with his absence, Cuthbert's a really good quality signing for the Ospreys. Absolutely. Um, I mean, going back to the Lions, we pretty much put the team selection to bed. Um, Front row is interesting, isn't it? Because you're getting that balance. You've got that balance. The season campaign there of Ken Owens at two, almost guiding two guys alongside him through their first Lions outing in San Diego yeah. and, and Rory Sutherland. And the bench is also interesting because you, you don't want to read too much into it because clearly the, the Scottish props are, uh, are sort of being kept together in terms of familiarity in, in the front row. But Wynne Jones and Tyke Furlan off the bench, that could potentially be a test. Yeah, I mean, I think in Gatlin... Combination. He was, he was asked today about the Scottish contingent and he, he did say, well, the game's in Murrayfield, so you'd want to have you'd want to have a fair few Scots in there and that's fair enough. And, and these are players who merited a chance as well. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone expects Furlong to be the starting test tight head. Lou said it's interesting because you've got Makovuna Polo coming in. Macavuna, he's not played a lot of rugby this season, Ben, has he? Really? No, no. You know, he's had these injury issues, but if he gets firing, like Gatlin's got a lot of time for him. Um, so that was going to be a really interesting one. Win Jones, I thought, was the was the loose head of the championship, along with Cyril Bay, you know, probably. So yeah. Yeah, I think that um, it will be interesting to see the impact they make when they come on. And the other thing is, we we, we really kind of we wait to see what Japan brings to the table because obviously they've lost a few players, haven't they, from what they had in the twenty nineteen World Cup? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Ken, yeah, Kenki Fukuoka's just retired. I'm glad you said that. Only recently, hasn't he? Um, I mean, they still got still got some quality in that team, but it's it's a very different test to what the Lions are going to face against South Africa. You know, it's and that it's the question that's been asked a lot of the coaches and players is how do you approach this game against Japan when you know that the overarching game plan 
to sort of nullify South Africa is almost totally different. Yeah, it's a difference. It's a different degree of physicality. So I suppose what you're looking at here is an, an opportunity to show what you can do with the ball in hand and the occasions you do get in South Africa. It's probably going to be more limited yeah. because you can be physically under the cosh. But that's you know you, you want to see you want to see patterns developing, don't you? Really, um, there's a lot of experienced players in that side, and as I say, it's the quite nice way in which you got ex, I think it's like eight former Lions tourists in the starting line around about that. So it, it mixes quite well with the, the younger players coming through. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it goes, really. And um, it, it'll just be nice to be able to see Lions supporters watching a yeah. Lions match this summer because it's the Absolutely. world opportunity. Um, interestingly, it's, um, it's the first time in 18 straight matches for the Lions that there's no Welshman in the back row. Yeah, you've got Fatal on the bench and obviously Tipperick waiting his turn um, in the in the um, sort of men in the wings. I guess it, that stat you showed shows how productive Wales have been in terms yeah. of back rowers coming through. Um, I still think, you know, Falatau and Tipperick could well have big parts to play on this tour. But, um, of course, what you, as, as Gatman was touching about today, you know, everyone will get a start before the first test. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, but I think it's five games, isn't it, before the first test. So if you start, if you don't start this one, you're probably looking at a maximum of two starts before the first test. So you really have to hit the ground running, don't you? You really yeah. do. Just like yourself, Ben, I'll be waiting for you to hit the ground running that first match. Before. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you don't get many second chances on these trips. So um, yeah, it's um, <clears throat> when you do get the chance with this group as a player, you really got to take it. Absolutely, you do. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Moving, moving, sort of closer to home. Um, it's been an eventful sort of week in Welsh rugby. Wayne Pivak named his his team for the. I was going to call it a tour. It's all in Cardiff. The, the the three summer matches. We've had a development at the end of last week. Corey Hill is sudden sort of removal from the squad because he's seeking overseas opportunities. It's it, well, it's, it's quite a sad indictment of where we, we, we sort of currently are in Welsh rugby, isn't it? I mean, there's a couple of things to explain to people there because Corey obviously signed a long-term contract when he joined Cardiff Blues and the Dragons last year. But because of what's happened with the COVID-19 disruption in terms of the huge hit upon the finances of Welsh rugby, I think just about every um, you know vast majority of people employed in Welsh rugby, even professional rugby players, administrators, coaches have taken the 25% pay cut. Now, a lot of quite a lot of players have, on the back of that cut, agreed new terms to their contracts. You know, almost like a formal accepting of that process. Some players declined to do so. Corey Hill, we understand, was one of them. Um, so, although he had the pay cut imposed, but hasn't accepted it through a new contract. As such, effectively, the the terms of his employment, the terms of his contract, have been breached. So that means means he is a free agent. That's certainly how he and his representatives are, are viewing the situation. And that there allows him to look for you know, opportunities elsewhere. We understand it. I mean, the figures that have been reported, you know, upwards of £500,000 for you know, a year in Japan is the suggestion. And when money like that comes along, when you're 29 years of age and there yeah. is quite a lot of comp- competition for second row places still, you know, around, you can certainly understand why he would go. Um, it's a difficult one. Um and you do just wonder, I mean, we don't know exactly how many players are in his category of being becoming free agents because of the contractual situation. 
But of course, the worry is that it may happen with other players. Now, I think the Welsh Rugby Union is banking on the 60 cap rule, keeping the majority of them in Wales. But, you know, I don't think you can sort of keep banking on that unless you have realistic and reliable wages coming through for the players. Yeah. Now, the realistic is dealt with by the wage uh, banding system. You can appeal against that. The reliable bit is the more significant one, you know, because I've spoken to senior players who remain concerned about whether there might have to be future pay cuts again, because everybody knows that the regions have a £20 million loan hanging over them, which they have to start repaying in July, which ain't many days away, by the way. No. As, and as we understand it, there's been a lot of talk about that loan being um, sort of refinanced and over a longer period, but there's been no announcement to that effect. So as it stands, they've got to pay it back. And at the end of the day, that leaves the regions with a, with a struggle on their hands to make end meet. And they don't even know what their payments from the union are going to be next season. So yeah. players I've spoken to are concerned that once again, it may be the, asking the re- players to take cuts. And you, you might have a situation then where players will say, well, you know, I've done it once. I'm not doing it again. I'm off. I'm off. And, and it would give them the opportunity to do that. So whether you can completely rely on the 60 cap rule, it's done well, it's done its job, it's kept the majority of players in Wales, it's seen the likes of, you know, uh, Moriarty, Thomas Francis coming over, you know, it, it has had that impact. But, you know, if the situation remains precarious financially, you worry about players going, because the red jersey is a big pull, Yeah, but it's not going to pull you. I mean, you've already had Hadley Parks, basically give up his international career for financial reasons. It's difficult because these careers are short periods. They've got families. You can understand. So it's a precarious time. I mean, the 60 cap rule, all, all it's there to do is to sort of tip tip the scales back in Wales, you know, staying in Wales' favour. But in order for that to work, you can't have the scales so heavily stacked in one side. And at, at the minute, that's what it is, isn't it? I don't think you can demand loyalty without rewarding loyalty yeah. to, a, it, to a you know to a sort of decent level as I, I, I put it in my piece last week you can't you can't expect players not to, to have their cake and eat it when you don't offer them the cake in the first place and there is the wider point that you know a year ago two years ago you could plan you say right these players are under contract yeah in two years time three years time they're going to come to a point where maybe you're going to have to fight to keep them but all of that's gone out the window now isn't it because of the pay cuts changed the landscape and it is a very difficult situation. I and, mean, you know, if, if the union with, with a, of a mind, well, 60 cap rule is there, they're not going to go, well, you know, they might have to rethink that strategy. And the other issue is that, as, as we said with the, with the sort of the, the loan, is a lot of it is it's infighting between the region and the union as, as to where the, where the burden lies, you know. We, the union have said that the, the burden sort of doesn't, it doesn't matter where it falls in terms of repayment, but it's very clearly the region's burden as it is the region's burden sort of with pay cuts. And it's, it's just a bit of a mess. Well, what you've got essentially is the WRU have stuck absolutely rigidly to the letter of the yeah. PRA, the Professional Rugby Agreement. Um, that people will have the differing views on that, whether such a policy should be stuck to rigidly in extraordinary times. That is what they have done as such the amount of money they are paying to the regions for the season just gone, which is down from 26 million to 3 million. They're able to point to the PRA. You can have the discussion about that. What has really changed the landscape, what has really created most of the animosity in terms of what I see day in, day out from regional fans 
is the the way in which the union is utilising the, the fifty one million pounds that they're receiving uh, in yep. terms of CVC Six Nations um, commercial income. Now the union have decided the v- vast majority of them, if not all of it, are going to be spent on um, capital projects. By that we mean the, the likes of the Parkgate Hotel and Westgate Street, which has already been funded, but also future policies such as the you know visitor experience on the top of the stadium roof, maybe moving into brewing. Now, this has caused a lot of anger because people are turning around and saying, well, why are you investing in hotels and beer and in, you know, skywalks when your core product, your core business, what you should be an expert on, which should be the real area you know how to invest in, is professional rugby. But clearly, you know, Steve Phillips, WRGB exactly has made it pretty clear that he views that he will get a greater return long-term by investing in these other products. And you'll point to the fact that in future years, there will be less money coming in from Six Nations because there's a dividend to pay to CVC. Uh, and you'll point that in the future, these are the ways of reaping greater financial rewards. My concern all along has been, well, that's great, but will all four regions still be there to reap those benefits? As, as a certain leading regional figure said not so long ago, CVC money, uh, that's rainy day money, and it's pouring down outside. Yeah, absolutely. It is just a totally bizarre situation. You know, I mean, when was the last time we really saw something this bad in, in Welsh rugby? 2013, 2014, that sort of... Well, in terms of the animosity and the anger. It feels like that again, doesn't it? The interesting thing, of course, is you haven't had any crowds. In 2013, yeah. 14, you had protests at games, protect our game. They used to be there with their banners. Now, I suspect that if... You know, come the new season, crowds return. If there hasn't been an improvement, if there hasn't been a result, I mean, they, we still don't know the playing budgets for next season. And, yeah. you know, they'll be back in preseason training before long. It, it's, it's not a good situation. And I don't recall this much um, animosity towards the region since the days of the Civil War in that 2013 14 season. It's, um, yeah, it's keeping us busy, but, you know, I'd much rather be able to write about everybody pulling in the same direction for the success of Welsh rugby rather than something of an impasse. And this this kind of really sort of quite febrile kind of angry atmosphere that we're operating in now. It's not, I mean, you only have to look at, you know, people who week in, week out put money into the regions, the fans, they are really unhappy, really yeah. unhappy. And, and possibly worse than unhappiness, I'm, I'm sensing a lot of ambivalence with some. Like, well, the, they, not, they, they feel like the, yeah. the, the, the damage is already done, so what's, well, what's the point? There's one thing worse than antipathy, and that's apathy. Yeah. And that's my concern. Another concern I have is that people will just say, oh, I'm going to watch Bristol, I'll go and watch Bath, watch, you know, watch, watch that's a good league, I'll go and watch some Welsh boys playing and that. Why would it, you know, I can't be bothered if, you know, if these teams aren't being backed properly, I'll just go elsewhere and I'll just watch Wales. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's always the overriding issue is that a lot of people in this country don't care what happens to regions. It's about Team Wales. But this right here, you know, the, the, the Corey Hill stuff, the pay cuts, if it's if if they, the union don't get a handle on it, and, you know, it should be the union's responsibility despite trying to pass it on to the regions in terms of stuff... If the union don't get a handle on it, then very quickly this will become Team Wales fans' problem. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's only going to affect the national team. Yeah. 
you only had to listen to Gatland for a decade and Pivak over the last couple of years in terms of the stall and the importance they place on training and preparation. Now, people go on about the 60-cap rule, this, this, that, and the other. The central reason it was brought in was to give as much access as possible to the national coaches, to the players. That means them being based here because you can have them for two weeks before a session. They don't have to go back to their clubs and risking danger in between. You know, People say they're playing at a high level, yes, but you can play at a high level and not be able to play, play at all if you pick up an injury and it impacts upon you. I mean, you could miss something like, you know, almost half the number of training sessions if you're an English-based player. Yeah. So that's why it's in place. And if you have the vast majority of the Welsh squad based outside Wales, then you're going to have problems in terms of preparation. Results are going to suffer and it'll be too late then because they'll have gone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Um... Well, you just you just wonder what, what what twist or turn this takes next, don't you? Yeah, I think that um, it'd be interesting to see what the attitude of the other regions is moving forward. It's always a slightly complicated situation because one of them is technically owned by the well is owned by the union. So we wait to see whether David Buttress's move to bring the uh, Dragons back into independence happens. But you know. I think that you can understand why, to, to an extent, the regions are maybe keeping their powders dry but in terms of what they're saying. Um, they, they, they probably want to just resolve the situation as best they can because they know that ultimately any kind of war, it, it, there's casualties in war, aren't they? You know? Yeah. So it's a difficult, difficult path they're treading, but um, the clock is ticking and Welsh rugby is on a bit of a precipice at the minute. Indeed it is. Um I mean, a, a podcast of two halves, if ever there was one. But I mean, the, the big positive thing, I mean, is that you are going to have crowds back at rugby matches in Wales. Indeed. When Wales are good. I mean, it's only going to be 10,000, know, less than that, so 8,200 at each match against Canada and Argentina. So that'll be a big plus and a big positive. And I just hope that, you know, all those people who go to those games and all the people who watch Wales and all the people who watch the Wales players play for the Lions understand the importance of Wales being strong at all levels. Community club, semi-pro, regional, Wales, Lions. It all follows into each other. You undermine one level of it along the way and things start to topple. So it's just we just need to be able to explain things a bit better. And I think the region's got a part to play that as well. And exactly yeah. explaining that this is why it's so important that we are strong. Absolutely, because you can make the argument now it's it's healthier for the regions not to have internationals than have internationals. Well, it, I mean, it wasn't until the COVID crisis because... Because the, 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 the payment for service was there. 80% of the wages of the top 38 players come out of the first tranche of the money that's distributed by the PR. Be. So it made sense to have international players because basically the, the more international players, international squad players you had, the greater slice of the financial cake you got. But obviously that 80% that payment hasn't been paid this last year yeah. because the terms haven't been met into the PRA. Now, if we move on again and there's still uncertainty over that, then it becomes less and less attractive to have those players. If everything's operating okay and money is coming in, especially now with the reduction in the number of URC United Rugby Championship matches, it does make sense to have Wales. Yeah. Do you get that 80% allocation? And also they're available for a greater percentage of your league games. But if the pay cuts continue, if the financial uncertainty continues, and essentially the regions have to pay all the wages of these Wales players and then still say goodbye to them, 
for the union who's getting full access to them without paying for them, then the landscape changes and you've got to start rethinking them. Absolutely. Absolutely, you do. Um, there we go. I think that's it for this week's uh, podcast. Sorry for the slight break in uh, episodes. Uh, I've been on jury duty for the last couple of weeks. Um, Poor man. Yeah. <laughs> Been in court, but not for the reasons you think. Um, yeah, so an eye-open experience, but the Lions tour is now in swing. I'm back, so the podcast will hopefully be coming thick and fast over the next few weeks. Um, of course, if you do enjoy the podcast, do make sure to give it a review and on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you listen to, and you can catch all the latest Welsh rugby news and the Lions content on Wales Online. So does this mean the next time I see you, you're going to be in Boca Boca land? It probably does. Yeah. Oh, there we are. You look forward to the, you transmitting from the Rainbow Nation. I'll see you there.